Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Let's kick some tail. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Race to the finish. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the full episode, we wanted to give the usual shout out to our other platforms that we are currently occupying. If you lovely, lovely listeners are hungry, hungry hippos for more of what we're making. (laughs) Gulp down our podcast marbles. (laughs) Firstly, our YouTube channel is being populated with new videos all the time, like Chris's hard drop mini series, looking at some classic Tetris alike games. And we're uploading streaming content there as well. So do please check that out and subscribe to the channel. There's some great stuff there. We're really, really proud of it, so we'd love you to see it and share it. Also, we have a Patreon page for those of you who wish to get even more out of the podcast. Head over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents and you can pledge your support in exchange for a plethora of perks, such as access to full Patreon exclusive bonus episodes, deleted scenes and hilarious outtakes. You can even get some custom artwork created by these six hands and there's even the chance to record an episode with us. So if that tickles you just right, then head on over and give it a look. So, this week, we have our 36th favourite video games of all time. 36. Oh, unbelievable. It is, it is. But before we do that, we are returning to the quiz, where it is still very close. Chris is just one point in the lead <sighs> with 32 points to 31. Come on. I'm going to change that today. No, I'm feeling you're not. confident <laughs> and good. Which James Bond film... Was made Gold into Knight. a game. Correct. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the answer is Golden Knight. Yes, it's a, a, a monumentally easy question, oh. and for the, for the person who's had it in their list already, uh, the point goes to Chris. It is thirty-three to thirty-one. Well done. Oh yeah, I forgot I talked about that game. Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no Panzer Dragoon Saga. Not many things are, mate. No. Not even the next thirty-six <laughs> games in my list. <laughs> so, what have we been playing this week, Chris? What have you been playing? I have played a couple games this week. I have not had a chance to start uh, Xenoblade yet. I did receive my copy this morning. Lovely. So I haven't, I haven't had much time, but it's still sealed at the moment because I was trying to finish a game that I've been playing on and off this whole week. Firstly, this one's called uh, Ace of Seafood. Okay. <laughs> and uh, for anyone listening in the future, this is not an April Fool's episode. This is a <laughs> genuine game. Mm. <laughs> it's uh, You can play it on all major platforms. Like I've, I've had it on the on the PlayStation 4 but it is also on the Switch and the Xbox and the PC. So you can kind of pick your own poison, as it were. It is one of the strangest games I've ever played. I like weird games. I like interesting, different games. But for the first hour of playing this, I honestly did not have any idea what was going on <laughs> or what I was supposed to be doing. And it was at that point where I was like, I should just stop. Like, I should really just stop because I'm making no progress. I don't know what's happening. Like, what is this? The English translation from Japanese is is woolly at best, I suppose you could say. <laughs> so nothing is really explained that way either. But the more I sort of picked away at it, you basically, you pick a fish to start with. So I went with the humble salmon. Um, and uh. Uh, you're then chucked into a big ocean. And you eventually figure out that you're supposed to be attacking other creatures using your fish laser cannons, because naturally all fish uh, 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 yep. all fish have laser cannons. You harvest the genes and DNA of the other fish and creatures, and then you produce your own army of up to six creatures or, or 
sea creatures that you then can terrorize the wider ocean with right and you're aiming to kind of like extend your influence and take over reefs and and kind of spread out across the map it's so odd it's, it's really really <laughs> odd like it controls a bit like an arcadey flight sim so if anyone ever played something like ace combat it's, it's a bit like that but in the sea like it's got kind of that user interface that looks like a flight simulator with kind of like your depth gauges and everything else it's got really awkward controls to get used to oh. it really reminded me as well it's kind of like the sort of weird dreamcast games that, that were doing the rounds where it's like it doesn't look great but it's doing something <laughs> so different that it's kind of worth persevering with and i can't stop playing it <laughs> i can't stop playing it now, now that i've figured out like the rough rhythm of what i'm supposed to be doing and how i get better and how i kind of in- improve my my crew of fish I've captured 75% of the reefs now, so I'm, I'm well on the way to finishing the game. I'm coming up against like, big foes like great white sharks and vampire squids. And it's one of the first games in a long time that really just defies proper classification. Yeah. Uh, from me, like, I, I don't know I don't know how this one started. Like, it seems like it's a, <laughs> it's a joke game, but it's, play, it's, it's played totally seriously. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no real humour to it outside of you seeing the title and going, oh, that's a bit of a joke. I was just having a look at the Nintendo Life review of it, and their conclusion is, Ace of Seafood is proof that even bad games can offer some entertainment value. Yeah. But if you don't find the idea of massive laser-shooting fish battling ghost battleships amusing, then you probably need to check your pulse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it looks absurd. You can get it quite cheaply. Uh, if it's on sale sometime, maybe it's worth picking up for people if you like odd games. The other game I played this week and finished the early half of the week, which was pretty shit. Like Ace of Seafood is is weird, but enjoyable in its own way. But this this was just not a good game. It was called um, Adam's Venture. And it's kind of like a third person sort of action game, sort of puzzle game. And it's very much, I think they were going for sort of like the Uncharted sort of thing mm-hmm. um, with a few extra puzzles. But it's very much, you know, the meme that it's like, mum, can we have McDonald's? And then, then there's a picture of something awful not resembling a burger that is McDonald's at home. Yes. It's, it's very much like Uncharted at home or, or Tomb Raider <laughs> at home. And it's just, it's just, it was dreadful, but it was a few hours. And it was kind of the type of thing that once I persevered through the first chunk, I thought, well... I should probably just finish it now. So yeah, that was played and then sold immediately. Straight onto eBay. That was not worth keeping the collection. That's pretty pretty dire. Oh, oh dear. Next week, hopefully, will be uh, Xenoblade. Yeah, I mean, I have I have started on Xenoblade, which is oh, it's just wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I'd forgotten just how much I love the game, to be honest. Like, I mentioned when the 3DS port was on my list, how much I loved just the core concepts and setup that this world exists on the frozen body of a dead titan. And the fact that like when you get to certain places in the game, you, you can kind of get a sense of which part of the body you're on and it just dwarfs you in like its sense of scale. And I mean, it's just, it, it, there's nothing really else like it, I don't think. Even like Xenoblade 2 didn't really match it, I, I think. And even though that was, you know, brilliant. But it's, yeah, it's great to be back on, uh, on Bionis and the game looks and sounds incredible and there are some nice little quality of life upgrades in there as well which is it's quite good quite helpful to sort of easy back into the i mean admittedly very advanced battle system <laughs> but yeah i'm, I'm sure yeah. i'll get my head around all of that again i did stay good on my promise from last week which was to finish hyperlight drifter before xenoblade and i i finished that and that was that was good it was uh it was a nice game it was a nice yeah. game it was it was quite fun to play nice to look at it it does a, a sort of a similar thing to 
something like the, the 3D Mario games, which is like you need to collect a certain amount of a certain item in Mario. It's like stars or equivalent. And then you can access the final boss. But there's a lot more hidden in the world as well. And it's like that in, in Hyperlight Drifter with the, the beacons that you're sort of trying to find in, in the world. You only need four in each of the four areas to get to the boss. But there's actually eight hidden in each of them. So there's there's still still quite a lot to, to sort of un, uncover. I may well go back and 100% it at some point. But uh, yeah, for now, it's, it's, it's nice to, to have sort of completed it and put it down, fully enjoy Xenoblade. And this morning, Bioshock, uh, the collection, just arrived. But I think that's going to have to wait until <laughs> after I'm done with Xenoblade as well. Yeah, that's big games. <laughs> Biggest news from my week is that I finally finished my Super Mario Maker 2 Super World. All six worlds, 30 levels. <sighs> 30 levels, ranging from the, the tricky to the challenging to the fun to the silly. <laughs> to the oh that really made me think but never unfair (laughs) yeah so yes so that's that's going to be uploaded and ready for chris to tackle and we shall we shall be filming that and recording that for a future video on our youtube channel so uh do stay tuned exciting times how about you minty what have you been up to this last week oh you know me dragon quest (laughs) no no but another game much like it i'm back into tales of vesperia oh very good yeah yeah i don't know if i said this before when i first got it but my original plan is to play through the game once and then get into new game plus and then 100 percent the game yes i remember you saying that yeah it's taken what a good eight months for me to <laughs> get about two thirds into the game. So I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I've made a bit more progress these past couple of days, but it's good. I, I, I don't really want to talk about it that much just yet. Oh. Oh. No reason. <laughs> just not in the mood. Yeah, you just want to keep something back for yourself. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> so at the moment, are you juggling Tales of Vesperia, Labyrinth of Refrain and Disgaea 5? Yes. <laughs> no one people no room for Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's take Animal Crossing's taking the back seat just because Mrs. Minty loves it so much and I just like watching her play it. I I, I don't I don't have the imagination to terraform an island to the extent that she does, so I'm more than happy just to get on once a day, look at the turnip prices, see if there's something fun to buy in the shop. And then just have a wander around and enjoy all the wonderful things that have happened on the island since I last logged on. And of course, check in with Hamlet. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, your trusty Hamlet. Because it's the 1st of June today, as, as we're recording, so it's been nice to sort of catch a whole load of new fish. Mm-hmm. Some of the sharks that are around now and some new bugs. And also, it's wedding season, so you can go over to Harv's photo studio and recreate Reese and Cyrus's wedding day for their anniversary photo shoot, which is so wholesome, I think I might weep. <laughs> That's really nice. I've oh. not done it yet. I logged on today uh, and sort of ran about to look for some fish, but I haven't had a chance to, to go through the sort of like photo quest, as it were, yet. It's lovely, and you can do you can do it every day for the whole month, and you can so you can do a different photo every day, and depending on how good your photo is, you get I think they're called heart crystals, which is like the, the seasonal currency, yeah. and then you can exchange your heart crystals for the seasonal furniture. Oh. All the wedding themed <laughs> stuff. It's giving like the eggs again. It's, yeah, but it's all contained in one in one area, so you know you can pop over there, do a photo shoot. It's really nice. It is really good fun doing it. Like it's the first time I've actually dabbled in the photo studio at all. Yeah, but it's it's quite addictive. It is a really nice feature. 
I visited Harv's Island right at the start of the game and he creeped me out, so <laughs> I didn't go back. But I'm glad I'm glad that this has sort of encouraged me into there. So um and one of the nice things is once you have done a photo shoot with your residence, you can then buy a poster of that resident to put up in your house or send to other people. So um, I've got a very cool Phoebe poster and a very cool Avery poster, if uh, anybody's interested in uh, in those. Do you have a Hamlet poster? No, I, no, I do not. <laughs> then keep walking. Uh, well, I was going to send you an Avery poster because you said you thought he was cool, but now I'm going to rethink <laughs> things, Minty. Oh, who is Avery? Is he a bird? Oh, it's the eagle, isn't he? Oh, why did I have to go and run my mouth? Damn it. You understand things have consequences. Yes. Maybe you should have kept that thought to yourself as well. I've, I've learned a real valuable <laughs> lesson here, everybody. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Shall we move on to the rankings? Oh, go on then. Yes. Starting this week, we have Minty's game. Minty, can you please tell us about your 36th favourite video game of all time? I'd love to. Thank you for asking. You're very welcome. I know I've said this a lot of times in the podcast, but I really miss manuals. Ah, yes. I miss the little blurb at the beginning setting the scene for whatever you're about to play, the nice glossy finish, the page at the back to write notes on for little uh, secrets or you know, Easter eggs you find, uh, fun diagrams telling you what buttons do what, the reassuring presence of something you can refer to if you have a brain that can't quite get to grips with the elegant unfolding as you play tutorials that most games have nowadays. If I can have a flick through a booklet that tells you what each button does, I'm good. I'll play that game and I'll do it well. But having a little button icon appear above my character's head when I'm in a specific scenario doesn't really work for me, I'm afraid. Today's game, and actually next week's game, <laughs> thinking about it, are two that really instilled that appreciation for manuals in me for different reasons. This week's game gave me an appreciation for the how to play section because of the uh, the do this to win mechanic that I think is unique to this franchise. When I first got it, I was there for a good few weeks, wondering why I wasn't able to beat anybody in this game. I was playing as an enormous reptile, breathing fire and swiping at the haters left and right. But no matter what I did, I just couldn't finish a match. And on the off chance I did win, I'd lose points for using the same moves over and over again, which was utter bullshit. And then I read the manual, realised just what you needed to do to beat your opponents, got my stick flick on and cruised to victory over and over in Super Smash Bros. Melee. Ah. Race to the finish. It's the target thing, isn't it? It's the race bit in the... Um... It was the adventure mode, wasn't adventure, it? Adventure, yes. Yeah. Race to the finish. It was in the temple, wasn't it? The, the Zelda it temple. It was. Uh... And you either had the Zelda music or the Fire Emblem music. And mm -hmm. I remember I had a bit of a suspicion when I was trying to beat adventure mode on hard for the last trophy that I needed. If I got the Fire Emblem music, it meant that I was going to have a good run. If I got the Zelda music, it meant I was going to have a bad run. <laughs> oh, was that true? I mean, probably on like a subconscious level, it probably impacted my confidence. So I'd say uh, ah, I see. it probably did. It probably did. But yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Melee edges out ultimate for me as the pinnacle of the series, if only because flicking the Joy-Con seems like a really terrible idea given how prone to drifting they are. Oh, wowee, the amount of stuff in this game is absolutely unreal. Like, you want to fight through just match after match after match as your favourite character? Done. Fancy a romp through uh, character-specific adventure scenarios? We've got that too. What about dumb event matches where you need to defeat the small monkey whilst avoiding the massive monkey? You can have that too. Are you a pacifist? Yeah, let's head over to the target range. Are you Babe Ruth? How far can you whack this sandbag with a baseball bat? Are you a gambler? 
Use coins you earn from fights on the gacha machine for figurines. Are you a nerd? Every figurine has a bio talking about the game it was in. It's a great format for an all-star fighting game, I think. You, you, you fight with the best, and then you learn about the rest, and then you start playing the games that everybody else is in, amass a huge collection, and then most likely an overdraft. <laughs> People keep complaining about the game because every DLC fighter is like, oh, it's, it's another Fire Emblem character. It's just viral marketing for the next Fire Emblem game. And so what? Like, it works. I bought Path of Radiance after unlocking Marth and Roy in this game. Yeah, I, d I don't really know what to say about this game apart from that really it's just a great game in a great series not just for the bits that you play but for the representation and the stuff you can learn it came out at just the right time in my life i think to whet my appetite for a whole world outside of the next zelda and mario game nice it doesn't have the sweeping uh, expansive storylines or the big open world of big games that sort of really uh, have an impact on you but it was it's just a fantastic game for what it is and i've probably picked up quite a few games outside of what i would usually play just because i've seen them in the trophy collection yeah fire emblem being one of them animal crossing one for me oh ah, yeah was it was that your first exposure yeah because i think the the tom nook trophy it was one of the last ones i was trying to get <laughs> i agree with you minty it's it's an absolutely i mean it's a phenomenal game i think they've basically nintendo figured out the formula for fun and they they kind of confirmed that with super smash brothers and then went right well let's build a billion things on top of this in melee mm. and made an absolutely astonishing game i remember when i had melee and thinking like there's so much content in this and when you look at kind of what they've added into brawl and then in the whatever they called it super smash Bros. for <laughs> wii u and 3ds and then and then in ultimate it's just absurd how much stuff there is and it's great like we said it before when you were talking about super smash brothers chris yeah that it's just a real celebration it's like yeah, you know it's a absolutely. real celebration of games not just nintendo games but just games in general and you know super smash brothers melee hadn't branched out into sort of third party characters no no but still again it was just a real celebration of nintendo's history and you know i'd, I'd never heard of fire emblem before super smash brothers melee i'd never heard of earthbound uh like i said i'd never heard of animal crossing I didn't even really know much about Metroid at that point as well. No, I don't think I did either. It came up before Metroid Prime, yeah. Melee is another one of those games, Jonathan, like I said about Tony Hawk's 2 on the Game Boy, yeah. that I will forever know as a Jonathan Dunn game. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. Uh, and because I remember you obsessively hunting trophies to the point where you were borrowing yeah. games off other people to get trophies associated with save files. Is That that sounds like something I would do. I yeah. don't remember that, but I believe you. I think there was something like maybe Pikmin, and something like that, you, you had to have yes, a save on that's your memory right. card. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember doing that. Goodness. Jonathan Dunn classic with the spreadsheet open. Oh, almost certainly. Absolutely, almost certainly. <laughs> Piggybacking on what we were talking about uh, uh, last week, it's a real celebration of the GameCube controller as well. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. There's a reason why Nintendo have had to implement GameCube controller support for every Super Smash Brothers game since, for like the last 20 years. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's just a perfect combination. Big A button, Minty. Absolutely. On a weird tangent. Here we go. Do you think... Uh, this could be good. You know in Nathan Barley? Yeah. You know uh, Nathan's phone that has the giant number five key because he says yes. it's the most used number? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think that was inspired by the GameCube controller? Because Charlie Brooker was a big gamer. I reckon you could be right. I think there could be like an unconscious link there when he was writing that joke. I think you need to tweet him and ask him. <laughs> Well, last time we did some digging with old uh, 
What's her name? TJ Davies from uh, Sonic yeah. R. We got a response, so I could try this one. Give it a go. Give it <laughs> a go. Thank you for that, Minty. Moving on, we have my game. Go on, then. And we are sticking with the same console, because we are on the GameCube for my entry this week. Two weeks in a row as well, actually, for me. And this game is a total cracker of a game. It is... It's just brilliant. It's part of a long-running classic video game series, but I think pretty much everyone regards it as the best entry in the series. It really shook up the formula from its predecessors, and its amazing blend of action, adventure, and survival horror hasn't been matched in its successors. Crazily, given how many ways you can access and play this game, it started out life as a rather tasty GameCube exclusive game, (laughs) and part of the legendary Capcom 5, alongside Killer 7, Project Number 3, the aptly named defunct Panzer Dragoon clone Dead Phoenix, and my 56th favourite video game of all time, Beautiful Joe. Of course... It's Resident Evil 4. Of course it is. Big guns, this is. (laughs) I thought this would be higher. Ah, Well, strangely, this was possibly the last entry that went into my list, (laughs) because for some reason, I totally forgot about it when I was compiling the list. (laughs) But I think like my GameCube games that I was putting together was so dominated by first-party games that like any third-party ones just seemed to evade my recollection. (laughs) Like, Tony Hawk last week was another example of that. That almost didn't make an appearance at all. Like, just totally escaped me in fact like in order to make room for resident evil 4 and tony hawks i had to combine a couple of games higher up in the list from like the same series to to sort of avoid shunting any off the bottom of the list basically to make room for them so uh yeah i'm looking at you jurassic park on the game boy count your lucky stars (laughs) that neither of these games cooked your goose (laughs) i remember when people went nuts over the gamecube remake of the original resident evil so many people were proclaiming it as like the first truly photorealistic game and if you looked at screenshots of the game you would rightly be wowed at how incredible it looked on the you know 128-bit system but obviously its secret was in the fact that it was only rendering 3d assets for the characters and the enemies like all of the backgrounds are all still pre-rendered images so they could drip with the most advanced looking ambient lighting without actually having to run any extra processing power Now, whilst this was also the setup for the original Resident Evil on the PlayStation and uh, the second and third games, I still think that that way of controlling the game in in that setup lead to just an overwhelmingly frustrating experience. Yeah. Like, because the way it would work is your character would exist in one camera angle, and then when you exited that, I guess, area, and the game needed to change the angle with a new backdrop, for a start, the game would stutter just a smidge, just a smidge, and then the direction you were controlling your character changed, depending on how the angle changed, because there wasn't like a consistent viewpoint for you to navigate the surroundings. It was horrible. I absolutely hated it. And it annoyed me that like some people claimed it was like intentional and it was like intentionally tricksy to add to the sense of horror and panic in the game, which is obviously just a load of bunk. <laughs> it's like saying a game that has been just badly made and full of glitches is just intentionally hard. It's I mean, admittedly, they are right. It did make the game a lot more panicky and scary to the point that it, it just wasn't enjoyable to play for, for me anyway. In fact... Playing that remake was responsible for giving me a night terror so bad that I threw up in panic. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was a very, very vicious one, that. Yeah, it's horrible. So when Resident Evil 4 was announced to be in full 3D with no pre-rendered backgrounds, but still retaining, like, its same quality in terms of visuals, I mean, yeah, I I was very intrigued. 
I remember getting to see the game in action for the first time at my friend uh, Christopher Devereaux's house. Good oh. old Dev. Hello, Dev. And I think I only saw like the first area of the game, but there were several things uh, that I saw on display here that made me think that, well, one, I would enjoy this, and two, I could endure this. <laughs> Firstly, uh, full 3D movement. Fantastic. Like it, it still operated like a fixed over-the-shoulder camera view, which was... I mean, very successful mechanic in terms of limiting what the player could see without it feeling annoying. Really, really effective in terms of limiting your field of view. And, you know, that is something that does add to the sense of of horror and panic, but in a much more successful way than just, like, dicking about with your controls. Secondly, there's a laser sight on your gun so you could see where you were shooting, which was just great. That was really helpful, and I really enjoyed that. Thirdly, there was amazing fire so just like just firebombs and explosives just in the first village area blew my little brain. It looked amazing. It looked great. And, and I, I wanted more. <laughs> and fourthly, and you know, this is a bit of a weird one because it's actually an often maligned game mechanic and one that, to be honest, I don't always enjoy. But it was the first time I'd seen quick time events in a game. And for those of you who don't know what that is, like, for example, there's a bit where you're exiting the village and going down a hillside and all of a sudden a group of miscellaneous bastards push a boulder after you and then you have to hammer B as fast as you can to run. Then when the command pops up to press A or something, you dive out of the way. And so you need to use your reflexes to to hit the, the button command that pops up in time to get through those little sections. And, and that was something that just seemed really, really fun to me. Like I said, it is a mechanic that has been overused in other games and it can be quite a... Well, it's a bit of a cheat to kind of get through a cinematic kind of experience in a game without having to actually work it into the the actual game mechanics. But it was the first time I'd, I'd experienced that and I enjoyed it. So after I'd had my first taste of the game, I then trawled through my drawers for games to trade in because Electronics Boutique in Canterbury was running an offer that if you traded in any four games any four games you could get resident evil 4 for 99p which was absolutely stupid because the value of the games i traded in came to about a tenner and that's probably why they went into administration long before the financial (laughs) crises in the succeeding years yeah (laughs) as a sign of my victory i believe the receipt for that transaction is still in the box in uh, of the game in my loft (laughs) because i was very proud of that well done thank you thank you Right, so the game itself, it's a fairly straightforward setup. You play as Leon Kennedy and you need to find and rescue the president's daughter and in doing so uncover the biohazard conspiracy that's developing in these rural hills. Now the game did away with like the classic slow lumbering zombies from the first three games and instead what we had here were surprisingly sentient infected yokels which were like much more terrifying and you fight your way through two little GameCube discs worth of locations from the opening rural villages to the gothic monolithic castle to the sinister research island and all of these locations looked amazing and were fully realised in full 3D. I mean graphically speaking the game I mean really is incredible and a lot of this comes down to the brilliance of like the design of these elements so the enemies all had quite individual looks to them the monsters and parasites were suitably grotesque and intimidating and the areas had a great style of their own that set them apart from the others and there were also like environmental effects in play like rain which made everything like glisten in the night it was just incredible and like i mentioned earlier like the fire and the fire effects in some of the later areas especially there was this one boss fight where you're fighting a couple of giant trolls and there's like a fire pit in the middle and if you manage to trap one of them to fall into the pit 
like nothing ever looked as good as that graphically in the non-HD era. It was quite remarkable. The music was also fantastically atmospheric, sparse and tense when it needed to be, adrenaline pumping and frantic in the action sequences. And nothing ever felt quite as relieving as when you reached a quiet area and then like one of the tranquil pieces from the soundtrack faded in, just, just letting you know you were safe and you could take a breath for a minute. It was just great, really great use of music. Now, as I've said with many other games, none of these technically impressive elements would mean anything if the game wasn't fun to play. And this really was where the game is head and shoulders above anything that came before it in the series. Even though the game focuses on some beautiful photorealistic elements and creating like a believable and thrilling horror experience, the important thing is it never forgets that it is at its heart a video game. And there's loads of classic gamey elements at, at work here as well. You know, you've got like RPG elements in the form of like upgrading your weapons. You've got the brilliant storage mechanics where you have to have a physical space you need to fit your items and weapons into or you can't carry anymore. Best bit of the game. It was, it was great. It was, <laughs> I don't know, it was something I always thought was, was really fun. It was really novel. Like you'd have to like rotate a herb or something to fit nicely alongside the scope of your rifle so you could pick up another bit of ammo. It's great. <laughs> and there are loads of hidden secrets for you to find. So like even though you're in the middle of this rural village and there's like infected people coming at you you'd be like oh there's a target i can i can hit it's like it knew it was a game and ah uh, there was a brilliant recurring merchant character who would pop up from time to time what are you buying what are you selling what are you selling <laughs> and like whenever i hear those lines it, it always makes me smile like even right down to the extra modes that are in the game you've got like the mercenaries like arcade mode and you've got time trials and there's loads of other extra stuff for you to enjoy like it's not only crammed full of amazing content that keeps the experience fresh and enduring but like i said it, it keeps it grounded as a video game experience first and foremost and it's it's never not been fun to play through however when you have to look after the fucking president's daughter <laughs> <laughs> it is a right old pain in the shitting ass. Big old escort mission. It is, yeah. I mean, it is a mechanic in a game that I always hate. It's horrible. And she is annoying and also fucking useless. And that was that is always frustrating. I hated it. And I shot her sometimes on purpose. <laughs> Leon! <laughs> Dreadful woman. So I had this on the GameCube. I didn't have the uh, motion-controlled version of it that came out on the Wii, but I did buy the HD remaster on the PC when that was released. I even had the quite ridiculous scaled-down mobile phone version as well, which, I mean... <laughs> it's impressive. It was impressive. I mean, quite unplayable, but, you know, a good old stab. Like They, they gave it a, a darn good go. And I was really happy to buy it for a fourth time when it landed on the Switch last year and play through it all again. I mean, yeah, it, it looks a little bit prettier than the original version. Obviously, the resolution is higher. But gameplay-wise, it, it hasn't changed. And it still holds up brilliantly and is still a lot more fun to play than, like, Resident Evil 5 and 6 and other games that have, like, taken inspiration from it. You know, it, it really is like an absolute classic game. And I'll never forget the uh, the summer that I spent playing that game. Like, I think I, I mentioned this memory before, but I can remember the smell of like the summer breeze coming through my window. And I was listening to this great progressive rock supergroup album by the band Kino called Picture. And like whenever I hear a track from that album or I get the first smell of summer breeze... I always get a hankering to play Resident Evil 4 and I'm so glad that it holds up as, as good as it does in my memory because 
well, it means I can continue to revisit it, you know, for, for, well, hopefully for years and years to come. Before I finish, one final thing. This game did spawn the most ludicrous peripheral that has ever been released, I think, which is the chainsaw oh, yeah, controller. The chainsaw. <laughs> it's amazing. It looks amazing. I, I did manage to get my hands on the GameCube one, which I which I still have, and it's so stupid. Like you get this uniquely blood splattered mini chainsaw with it's got all the regular buttons from the controller, but it's positioned all around the different sides of the chainsaw. It's entirely pointless and uncomfortable, but again, <laughs> it's something that reminds me that Capcom know that this is a video game, and whilst video games can can be scary and tense and chilling they also need to be fun and this game certainly flipping is a whole barrel bunch of fun <laughs> oh i've said before when we did the halloween episode that i want to be able to play this game properly and the atmosphere is too much for me but i, I get all of what you're saying like the gamey stuff is why I always think that's the Resident Evil I might be able to get through properly. Yeah. Because it has the right balance of it. It is trying to create atmosphere. It's, it's trying to sort of tell tell its story and everything else, but it still gives you a bit more control and it's still kind of, I don't know, it has all those elements that keep it with like an arcade wrapper to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll, I'll kind of grow <laughs> up enough to get through it. But for the time being, I've, I've seen it played through basically two completions. So I, I, I know all of what you're talking about. Yeah. Either from having watched, I probably watched the first quarter of it at your house in dribs and drabs. Yeah. And, and then with, with an ex-partner, I saw basically the whole game in a couple playthroughs. Yeah. So I, I, I have experienced it, even if I haven't got through it myself. But one day, maybe, because everyone loves it and you love it. And I think I could... But I'm just too much of a big old baby. Did you play it, Minty? No, I've never played a Resident Evil game, apart from the demo of Revelations on the 3DS. Oh, yeah, that was great. Like, the Revelations games were proper sequels to Resident Evil 4. Mm. Really, really good. But, yeah, I think, as Chris said, if, if you're going to play any Resident Evil game, Resident Evil 4 is, I think, the most accessible, the least intimidating, and also the best. High praise. Mm, that is high praise. Indeed. Lastly, but not leastly, we have... Christly. Christly is here to tell you about Christly Dow. My 36th favourite video game. Yes, he is. Today's game is actually the second on my list from a one man developer. Ooh. Ah. And I don't know if I mentioned it when I brought this other game up, which was my 77th favourite video game, which was Super Hexagon. Ah, yes. But here is Terry Kavanagh, the, the creator of Super Hexagon, again with the incredible VVV VVV. And I'm going to get really ah. bored of saying that. <laughs> Now, I, I don't know why, but I found it interesting that my list would end up including multiple games from like a solo developer like this, because to date, like the number of development teams represented on my list is, is quite varied. I've got like a real spread of different different teams that have that created the stuff that I've put on here. And there's only really a few like Treasure and Rare and obviously Nintendo that have snagged more entries than than Terry Kavanagh but he's just really good at making games <laughs> <laughs> and and more impressively I, I think he's really good at making games that are very different to one another because there are no parallels between VVV VVV and, and Super Hexagon they are very very different experiences I think I'm just going to call this game V for, the, fine. For, the, for the sake of this episode <laughs> so going forwards um yeah, it's an annoying title. So so V, to shorten it, <laughs> it's a gravity-flipping gravity minimalist platformer. And, and it released not long after kind of like the indie boom that I mentioned previously when I talked about Braid. So I think it was like about 2010 or thereabouts. And for some reason, this particular game got a lot of media coverage, despite it having very humble roots. It was like inspired and, and plays on the aesthetics and construction of 
games from sort of the ZX Spectrum and microcomputer era of, of the mid 80s. And because of that, I don't know why I felt so drawn to play it because that whole era existed before I was gaming and more importantly, before I was alive. <laughs> you know, I've, I've played games from, from the Spectrum and stuff recently or semi-recently but when that was in its heyday I, I was not yet born so so I didn't have any like nostalgic attachment and yet something about when it was talked about and, and when the I saw screenshots of it I thought oh I really want to give that a go so not long after reading a review of the game I think that was on Eurogamer at the time I downloaded the original Adobe Flash version and then beat it in like a session or two because it's not a massively long game but even at that stage I thought this this is great like I really really loved it if anyone that's not seen it or not played it or, or doesn't know what it kind of does, it's basically a flick screen platformer. So the wider map is made up of sort of individual challenges that are joined as interconnected rooms. And I guess the easiest way to think about it is in terms of something like the dungeons of maybe the original Legend of Zelda or Link's Awakening, but it's on a 2D plane rather than a top-down perspective. So you beat a room, you move forwards, and it, it flicks to the next screen. It's really, really simple in visual design. So the background is black. Uh, your character and stage platforms or obstacles are just very simply coloured and in another nod to games like Jet Set Willy on the Spectrum each screen has like a little kind of title at the base of the screen that's like either a, a reference to the gimmick of the stage or like a little joke from the developer or whatever else but it's just gives it a bit more character you basically you make progress through a stage by flipping gravity to to either walk on the ceiling or the floor and that lets you kind of overcome obstacles or enemies so there's no actual attacks there's no jumping and it's really, really simple. So after like the initial few moments when you're kind of getting over the fact that you're expecting to be able to jump and you can't, you kind of get into rhythm of it and you you sort of know how to get around and, and you're off. And it's just really, really slick. It's, it's a platform game that is very, very slick and it has a perfectly balanced difficulty and challenge to it as well. And I think that's what really makes this a, like an all-timer. It's just a really, really tightly designed platform game that feels like it was just tested within an inch of its life. <laughs> Everything feels right when you play through it. And within the first couple of screens, you've, you've got handle on the gravity mechanic. And, and it's one of those games where the difficulty feels like it increases organically. So you never feel frustrated. It always feels like, okay, that, that is challenging, but it's a natural challenge from what I've already beaten before it. It does have kind of hidden collectibles that sort of uh, expand the game a little bit. And they're dotted around the world, which basically you need like a bit of extra mastery to grab them but in the same way like when you talked about new super mario brothers the other day jonathan it's like it's set up in such a way that you you can walk through it and beat the stage and then you go back and and beat it properly once you're kind of that little bit better to get the big coins as it were in that game yeah it's simple game design done simply it's, <laughs> it's just really really nice eventually the game got ported to the 3ds and i bought it again the microcomputer inspiration was was even more overt in this version because when you went to boot up the game, like when you click the little icon on your, on your home screen, the top screen of the 3DS had like a little spinning cassette tape as the game icon. Lovely. Which is really, really nice. And the 3DS version had like extra content. It had some of the sort of player campaigns and mods that had come from the PC version. And also, and I do get a little bit bored of saying this all the time, it looked incredible in stereoscopic 3D. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's every time I bring up the 3DS part of me dies that it's just we're never going to have that console again <laughs> it's just not going to happen that the industry is in a different place and all this port did for 3d is just said okay we're going to move the the characters and the stage forward a little bit and we're going to move the background and sort of the parallax things in the background just a bit further back and it's just such a nice thing to look at yeah it's, it's such a satisfying thing to look at and it just makes everything feel that little bit more real 
we're so used to 2D games, as in like a, a flat screen gaming experience, that when games do 3D properly, like a VR game that really grabs you or, or a 3DS game that really grabs you, it's it's something else. And it's a real shame that that's not like a, a common thing. A few years on again, I bought the game on the Vita and I, I beat it on the Vita for a third and a fourth and a fifth time. Like I, I kept playing through it. And this time it's because it added like the introduction of trophies. And I kind of... I've mentioned a couple of times, I've got a real love-hate relationship with trophies <laughs> yeah. and achievements because I had huge periods of time where that was the only reason I was playing games. And these days, I think I, I use it more as just, it's a different way to play sometimes. I, I kind of get in just a couple of days habit where I just want to pick some up and it's like a fun thing to do. But the trophies here were things about beating the game quicker or beating the game, having lost less lives. And that extra kind of competitive edge made it really something that I wanted to keep playing. So the, the 3DS version, I, I beat 100% and then just put it down and I was done with it. But the Vita, I played again and again. So by the end of it, I could beat the game much more efficiently. I could collect everything much more quickly. I had kind of like a route, almost like a, a speed run style route. Like I would know how I could get through it. And I just loved doing it. I really, really loved doing it. So it didn't look as nice it, to my eyes as, as the 3D version on the 3DS. But it made me dig into the whole experience in a, in a more challenging way that I really grew to to love the design of the whole game because I was having to tackle it with more focus. The game is available on the Switch these days. I haven't bought that version. And the only reason is because I, I'm sure it's going to get a physical release one day from someone on some <laughs> platform. And I feel like I've bought it digitally now three times. I, I don't need to do that again. So I'm, I'm convinced we're going to get a, a proper version sometime. There is a cartridge version for the Vita that does exist but it's never had a formal release. So the only versions in the wild are kind of like leaked press copies and the, the publisher's gone totally cold. Like we haven't heard anything about it actually coming out for about a year and a half now. So it, it must exist in a warehouse somewhere, but I'm as much as I love the game, I'm not going to spend like 250 quid to actually pick up a copy. So one day maybe, but <laughs> for the time being, I'm going to hold off like a sensible person because, you know, as much as I am a super fan and I'm physical media obsessed and all this, I... I'm more sensible than that. <laughs> One day, though, I, I will definitely get the Switch version, whether it is in like a deep sale at some point for a couple of quid and I, and I can play through it again because it is one of my favorite platformers. And it is a weird, like modern retro hybrid that I think shows that with the right vision, one person can make art that rivals massive industry leading teams. So yeah, to to Terry Kavanagh, he's, he's an absolute hero. I, I'm a huge fan of the, of the games of his I've played. And I think his most recent one is called Dicey Dungeons. Yeah. And it's like a, a, a dice roguelike, which I, I think is getting a Switch port at some point in the near future. Yeah, it's meant to be. And and also ported onto iOS and Android. Oh, lovely. But but yeah, not yet. I would like to dig into that and see what it's like. But yeah, he's great. And VVV, VVV is also great. Big fan. Fantastic. I could have sworn that I had it on 3DS. Yeah. But... I just can't remember playing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if, if I got it, it would have been downloaded and still on there. So I'll, I'll dig it out and, and boot it up and, and see if I can uh, see if it's on there. If not, I think I may well pick it up on, on Switch and, and play it uh, on your recommendations. It's only like eight or nine quid or something like that. on the Yeah, and it's it's only two, three hours. So it's not like a big commitment either. Yeah. But it's just, it's just the right length. Like I think the gimmick would kind of wear off if it was much longer. Yeah. But it's just it's just pitched perfectly that you you really feel like okay I've done everything I can with this kind of gravity shift and yeah you you feel like a real master of it by the end amazing very very good so there we have it another three games from our three cents first of all we had Super Smash Brothers 
melee. <laughs> and then we had Resident Evil 4. Before finally, the letter V six times. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like, subscribe, share the podcast on social media, tell your friends. You can reach out to us if you go to facebook.com forward slash our three cents. You can find our page. Please like that, share that. You can chat with us on there. You can talk to us about these games. You can tell us about games that you're playing. You can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer on a future episode. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me always and every day at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boom. And please do check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that and check out our latest videos. We've got the full playthrough of my Super Mario Maker 2 Super World coming soon. So subscribe if you don't want to miss out on that. And do please check out our Patreon page as well if you fancy pledging a little to get a lot more. And that's it. Until next time, goodbye. Fare thee well. Goodbye. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hunter, Hunter. Yu Hakusho, Literary Analysis, Comparative Localization, Jojo References. The works of Yoshihiro Togashi hold a specific kind of magic, and the people who seek to examine their roots and spiritual descendants are known as the Spirit Hunters, available on the Greenlit Podcast Network.